Hey, everybody, I'm Paul Wilkie. And I'm David Oro, and you're listening to The Embargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. And we're going to do it when we want, which is usually every other week. Whether it's tech, business, sports, music, or your mama, we're going to cover it. All of it comes from the point of view of public relations, reputation, and communications. Today is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. Welcome to The Embargo. Paul, it's been a while since I saw you. It's been a while. And I think since we last recorded, you are, are one of many podcasters in the world that have, that have come down with COVID. I did get it. It was not awesome. <laughs> I tell you that. It took me, uh, what happened? It was like mid-July, end of July, and then two of my kids got it. Uh, and then so we were a household full of COVID. And I know you, I have an Airstream. We parked on the side of the house. And I isolated in this airstream for three days, solid. And uh, but it took me about a week and a half to get back. I had brain fog. It got me good. I don't think I was ever in danger uh, of like being hospitalized or anything. But you know, I think my pride hurt me the most. I mean, it was like two and a half years not getting this thing after it was a pandemic. And so I'm better now. Still weird. I lost my smell. That was really weird. Uh, but. I guess it was my turn. I got to ask, how was uh, quarantining in the Airstream? It must have felt like the boy in the plastic bubble or something. Yeah, it was a little bit like that. I was in there for like three days just because I was resting. Uh, but we have a TV in there and I have a little ant- over-the-air antenna. Not cable, not uh, streaming, but like the old school antenna. Oh. Yeah. And uh, well, apparently you can get like 65 channels on that thing. <laughs> yeah. no, that's the question. Most of them are in Vietnamese. Uh, but like, uh, I did watch too much of hoarding <laughs> the show hoarding and that was pretty bad, but it was good. It was a nice way to stay away from the healthy people in the house. So, uh, it was all good. I'm glad we're back. So we're back today. And for the first time ever, we actually have a guest between me and you, Paul. So we're going to welcome our guest here. Her name is Michelle Garrett. She is a PR consultant, a freelance content writer, and she does a lot in B2B tech and and, uh, manufacturing. Welcome to the show, Michelle. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm sorry. We wanted to get to this, but, you know, we got to introduce what we've been up to and the recovery from COVID. So I'm here. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. Have you gotten it that yet? Or you, you've been lucky to stay away from that whole thing? Not that I know of. I did have a cold that lasted a couple of weeks, like in July. And I'm starting to wonder if that could have been it because my son had a cold and gave it to me. And so it could have been, but I'm, I'm all, you know, I'm as vaccinated as I possibly can be. So, and I wear a mask inside. And so I'm pretty, pretty cautious about it, but well, welcome to the show, and I'm glad you didn't get it. I got it. I survived. I've seen other people survive and stuff like that. So we got you on the show, Michelle, because we've been noticing you on Twitter. Your Twitter game is on point. <laughs> um, one of my colleagues, I, I, I send I send your tweets probably like <laughs> once or twice a day, and I'm like, she's, she's in my head. You're reading my mind. <laughs> And, and, and I, I feel bad because you think the same things I do with about our industry. It scares me. Um, but right? it's, am- it's amazing. And, and everyone on this podcast absolutely needs to follow you on social media. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's a Twitter P- at PR is us. 
which is us, right? <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, sometimes I wish I had factored my name into that somehow, but a lot of people, you know, lo- love the handle. And so um, that was, it was like 13 years ago that I picked that handle out when I knew nothing about Twitter and didn't think I was really going to like Twitter. So there you go. Michelle, tell us about yourself. Who, who are you? What do you do? Where are you based? All of the, the good stuff that makes Michelle Garrett and the PR is us Twitter handle shine. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in communications for more than 20 years, and that includes, you know, PR, marketing, internal communications, external communications. It's kind of, I've pretty much done it all at this point. Um, I do work primarily with B2B clients, and I do work uh, a lot in manufacturing and industrial sectors now. I used to be, I used to live in Silicon Valley, and so I worked in tech. And I moved back to Ohio, uh, which is kind of where my family is, where my roots are. And uh, I found that the money for technology startups and companies here was much different. So, um, but uh, I enjoy working with the manufacturing companies and I actually work with clients all over. So I'm not going to say that I only work with clients here in central Ohio, but um, it's been an interesting uh, road and an interesting mix of clients along the way. How long were you out here on the West Coast in, in Silicon Valley? Seven years. Seven years. And yep. you're from Ohio. You came out to California and then you moved back, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Are you are you finding are you finding geographies less an issue with your clients now? I think so. I mean, I've always been one to use technology and work across time zones anyway. Even when I was out there, I had clients that were in other countries and it was never an issue. So I just never really saw it as, oh, I live here, so I have to work with clients in my own backyard. But some clients do. I mean, they. I guess they think if you're close by, that makes a difference, which always is kind of a yeah, question mark in my head, like, you know, we don't really get together in person. Like, I can't remember, to be very honest, the last time I went to a client to a meeting in person. I just, we just don't do that. I had a client for two years and I just met him recently. <laughs> it was I've the weirdest one. thing, like to like walk up, we met in lunch mm-hmm. in San Francisco. First of all, I confirmed they all had legs. Uh, I'd never seen their legs before and they were there and and like literally it was a group and it was a marketing group team that I was working with. I was obviously doing the PR function and uh, the others marketing, email, web, whatever it is. And we all just sat around and looked at each other. And as we were looking at each other, one of them said, this is weird, right? <laughs> it was actually really weird. <laughs> we had to get through that a little bit. And then it got a little bit normal. Like, how do you socialize? But yeah, it's on the end. Speaking of Central Ohio, it's actually coming that way. Is Intel supposed to be building some big, gigantic plant there soon? That's what yeah. I hear through the news, you know? That's, so. the, that's the buzz. That's the big buzz. So we'll see. Um, it's a it's an interesting place to do business these days. So <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. In addition to your Twitter handle, PR is Us, I think you have the most genius LinkedIn profile name. And mine is... You know, LinkedIn.com forward slash in forward slash David Oro, because that's me. Mm-hmm. Yours is PR strategist. You didn't even, you, do you not like your name, Michelle? Or <laughs> are you looking What's for that? some SEO points here? Or I guess, right? No, it's so funny because my my maiden name is Messenger, which is perfect for PR. Oh, and so so many God. people have said to me <laughs> that you should really be using, you know, that name. And so, um, but 
I, I think I've just kind of leaned into the PR side because I, for a long time too, I really thought I wanted to write more than work on PR, you know, projects uh, with clients. And now I'm kind of leaning more into the PR because I think that's really where they need the help. The writing comes into play no matter what, but honestly, it's, I think, I mean, I hate to, I mean, I don't know if I should say this. It's more fun <laughs> maybe to work with on the PR projects than it is the writing projects sometimes. I don't know. It's, I feel like there's just more, um, I don't know. It's a different, you know, part of my brain, I guess, that I'm using, but. Uh, it's definitely I, a wider emotional spectrum. You get the highs <laughs> and the lows more with the PR than you do the writing. I feel like for me now, it's just more about choosing the right clients. Cause that's, that's been, you know, I've been on my own a very long time now. And I think the secret for me is, you know, understanding what works for me and then looking for those qualities in a client. And sometimes you don't know, even if you have, you know, meetings ahead of time and conversations and you think you're on the same page, as soon as you start working with them, you might find out, yikes, you know, they're not a good collaborator or they hired me and then they disappeared. That happens so often. I'm like, you know, we have a scope of work here and we, you know, you, I want you to, you know, I want to utilize that. I want us to be like, you know, doing a lot of things like that are on the scope of work. And they just, I don't know if they're busy or, I mean, I like to have independence and run on my own and have them trust me, but I also need them to show up and collaborate. And, you know, we, we need to bounce off each other sometimes, you know, so that's been a, a thing that I've been looking for more is just, you know, not one-off projects, clients that really want to dig in that no PR isn't an overnight one and done thing. Um, it's an ongoing effort and it can, you know, yield a lot of benefits, but they have to engage with me to make it work. Right. What are some red flags for you when you're either taking on a client or talking to a potential client? Well, anytime they say something like, um, you know, can you get us links or can you get us in TechCrunch or can you get us in the Wall Street Journal or can you get it? You know, some of those things are just I think that's the wrong focus, I guess. I mean, to me, it's more about, first of all, you know, we're going to determine like where their audience is spending time. Right. And it may not be the Wall Street Journal. I love mm -hmm. Rand Fishkin talks about the Wall Street Journal problem because it's really an ego issue for a lot of CEOs. And I think startup founders and things, they think being in TechCrunch, the Wall Street Journal is going to change their whole world like overnight. And it just doesn't work that way. And I think that if they don't understand that, if they're open to learning and, and listening and working together and being educated about what might work, then that, that's, that can work. But if they're very dead set on this idea that they know what it takes and this is what it takes, then I'm a little, sometimes I'm, you know, suspicious, leery. That's very fair. Yeah, I, I, I had that recently <laughs> and I, I worked with a client that just wanted to be in TechCrunch. And I'm like, but your audience is elsewhere. They wanted to be in TechCrunch. And I said, all right, we'll do the TechCrunch thing because they had a very limited budget. And I, right. they even waited a couple of weeks to be in TechCrunch. Uh, it was a funding announcement, obviously. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that's always the best strategy. It's helpful. It's widely read. And people do notice you. I do know that when I get in TechCrunch, uh, people are like, oh, yeah, we saw that in TechCrunch. Um, yeah. Uh, I've moved away from TechCrunch a little bit. I'm just kind of reading news all over the place. But yeah. back in its day, TechCrunch was a place to be. It still is a place to be. I just guess I'm not going there all the time. But finding the right audience for for the folks who's there. 
is also important. I mean, wherever the business is. I think it's uh, to Michelle's point, you know, when, when, when they're, when they're swinging for the fences and you're like, we want wall street journal, we want New York times, that's a red flag. And I think one of the, we don't, we, we've had a couple of clients, you know, even lately where, um, you know, they've turned down media opportunities we've gotten for them because they weren't New York times, they weren't wall street journal. And I'm, and you know, you, you want to, you want to just kind of wring their necks. Like you, <laughs> You got to work. You, you got to get some singles on the board first. You yeah, gotta, you gotta. You've got to get. You know, you've got to pay your dues. And well, in this day and age, I think you could take. You can take all the hits because you can repurpose it in so many ways. Right. right? You know, like there's simplify whatever you get. Credibility that you're yeah. you're you're looking after, and those things pile up over time. That really sell your credibility to clients, right? Whether it be Click Z magazine to the WSJ, right? Like you add those things up all the time. You use them on your website, you use them in social media, you use them in mailers, like all of that stuff is what we're we're producing for you. Would you agree? Yeah, I think you have to start somewhere because I mean, a lot of times clients just haven't done anything. Like they haven't ever done media relations. They haven't ever really engaged with a PR pro or PR agency or anything. And so when they get that particular that early on or that insistent, I'm like, wow, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, you've got to start somewhere, right? You might still be trying to pitch for those bigger, you know, top tier publications, but at the same time, you want to be going after industry trade publications or uh, looking for other opportunities that might be a fit, you know, even, even starting local regional sometimes. I mean, I have clients here who some don't care at all about being in the local news and others, you know, that's, that's all they'll ask for. And I'd be like, well, let's think beyond that. But, you know, at least it's a place to start because you've got to start somewhere and then it can build momentum. It can snowball from there and, and, you know, get going, but you've got to start somewhere. I'm, I'm throwing out a publication I saw today. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Axios is doing a new uh communications newsletter and uh, they actually had a great line in it today uh, they're talking about the future of pr and they're talking about um you know looking to the political world for inspiration and and there was a quote in there that really sort of summed up what michelle you were just saying and where where the industry is right now you're creating a beautiful tapestry of top outlets local media and non-traditional publications that's how you expand your reach and that's it that's exactly right. it yeah, because, you know, reporters read as well and search and do you know, research. And so they might even end up seeing something that was in a local or trade publication and getting a story idea and contacting you out of that. And that's the thing that I keep trying to drive home. It's like, well, again, it's not an overnight answer or fix, but if we start you know, just really putting some effort into it and consistently, I think it will yield results, but it's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to be the Wall Street Journal overnight. So any kind of attitude like that is a red flag, in my I, opinion. I also believe that there are some, a lot of journals that are risk averse. They're not going to cover a company that's never been written about before. So they're going right. to look up and say, like, well, who else is writing about these guys? Uh, and if there's nothing there, or there's only a couple things, you know, you know, they, they may walk away. It goes back to you know, I, I, I call it the uh, Kickstarter phenomenon. You know, early on in Kickstarter, TechCrunch reporters and a lot of reporters were covering the in- interesting Kickstarters, and mm-hmm. none of them ended up seeing the light of day or you know going to market. And then all of a sudden, they're like, "I'm not touching this stuff with a ten foot pole." There's a I'm just reading up this Axios 
um, article that you shared, there's a, a term here that I don't think, you know, 12, 15 years ago was really part of it or it was burgundy, but now people say it all the time. And, and just kind of want to get your guys' take on it. Paid, earned, and owned media, right? Yeah. Like that's that's a big job change for me because it was always earned media, right? Mm-hmm. There was enough books out there that like, you know, I can get you in the industry standard. I can get you in tech crimes. I can get you in the Wall Street Journal. Everybody's writing. There's big budgets. There's advertising. So I can get earned media all day. Uh, owned is something that we consider blogging right now that we're now doing a lot more part of. And then paid is actually because of the economics of journalism today. There's a lot of people taking contributed content if you pay them. Thoughts mm-hmm. on that? I mean, I get contributed articles placed without any payment. So for my clients, I mean, that's a big part of what we're doing. We're, we're ghostwriting. I'm ghostwriting. I say we, I'm, it's me. I don't, I don't really have a team. It is just me. So I'm interviewing the executive. I'm ghostwriting the piece. I'm pitching, placing the piece. So it's a whole package of that. And there is no advertising, no paid. No, I mean, in that equation, that does not work that way. It can work that way. But for my clients, I'm not doing as much of that. The peso model, I'm definitely referencing when I talk at Content Marketing World next month, I pulled up Jenny Dietrich's slide, which is the the, uh, trademarked version of peso. And she she came up with that. And that's I think that we need to be talking about that because when you say earn media, some people just look at you like they don't understand what you mean. And so there is a difference and people confuse advertising with PR all the time. So to me, it is, it's clear. I'm, I'm not saying that you can't blur the lines or that they aren't blurring a little bit, because I do think if your client is paying to, uh, for ads that you can leverage that on the editorial side a little bit, as long as you're subtle about it and not, you know, gross or tacky about it. Uh, but yeah. Did you say peso? What was the acronym you were Peso, using? yeah. Paid, earned, shared, and owned. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're, they're, did I miss out on the peso? Am I two years, five years behind? <laughs> Paul, had you heard of peso? I never heard of peso. I kind of figured it out while she was talking. It stood for <laughs> uh, It's what we do in our job. Every acronym we get thrown at, we're like, okay, quickly figure out what the hell this is. Yeah. <laughs> well, because there's so much confusion. And so I think, you know, we need to like, be talking more about that with clients and just educating people because they don't necessarily understand what, I don't think people understand what PR is half the time. I mean, you know, I don't know if that's your experience, but that's definitely, they, they think they know, or they pretend to know, but when you really ask them or when you really start talking, you're like, yeah, you don't really get what this is. All right, Michelle. So how do you explain it? What do you say to the layman, to your mom, to your cousins? Um, I mean, it's not an ad, you know, it's not, we didn't pay for this. Right. So um, that's how, and, and it goes beyond media relations. When I send you the peso graphic, you will see how many things are in the, you know, the earned media bucket or the, the owned media bucket. It does go beyond blogs. It is, it is that, but it's, you know, any content that's created that, that a company posts on its website, for example, could be case studies. A lot of times I've been working with clients on success stories, customer success stories, and we'll place those in a trade publication. So we we bring a lot of value out of one piece of content. So we we create the content, it lives on their site, and then we pitch it and we get an earned media piece. Then we share it on social, you know, so, and you can boost it if you want and pay too. So it just, there's a lot more kind of falling out of 
every effort, I would say. Yeah. I, I want to turn the attention to, uh, a little bit. We talked a little about clients and what we can do for them. Mm-hmm. So you're here because you actually do a lot for the PR professional, right? And that's what we're hearing, right? You sort of, become, you know, as Paul said earlier in this conversation, she's saying what I'm thinking a lot, you know, you, and you go out of your way to do this. You do a PR lunch hour on Twitter spaces. Yep. I haven't, I haven't joined yet, but I've been wanting to. And then I see it and I'm like, where do I jump in? Can you explain what's happening there and when you do it? Yeah, we do it every Friday at noon Eastern. It is a peer lunch hour, hashtag peer lunch hour. And if you have spaces, which I think most people have access, I use it. I think I can only get it on my phone. That's the way I access it. Um, It'll show up at the top of your Twitter feed, all the spaces that are happening. So um, and I, I co-host that with two other uh, PR pros and um, we have PR people from all over the world who tune in and it's really interesting to hear, you know, what challenges they're facing, how they're getting their wins. We talk about hot topics and crisis communications. It's fun. I mean, we we have a lot of fun with it, but sometimes it does get serious as well. What's participation like? You get a half dozen, a lot of a lot of folks here. And I'd there? say 40, 30, 40. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I love it because it's international. The the having it at that time of day, we get people from the West Coast, we get people from the East Coast, but then we get people from, you know, all over, countries all over. That's the same. I host freelance chat for freelancers on Thursday and we do it at noon because we can get people tuning in from all over. So that time of day seems to work really well to uh, attract an international audience. All right. So let me ask this for, for you then. So like you're a freelancer, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have like a little boutique thing, kind of freelance. I'm in the middle right now. Paul has an agency. What do you say to folks when you're like, should I hire a freelancer or should I hire an agency? You know, that's a good question. And I um, I worked at an agency before I went out on my own just to get that experience. And I, I don't have anything against agencies per se, but I do hear a lot of people who come to me say you were really hard to find because I think agencies in some cases can be expensive, right? And they can be overkill for a smaller business, or maybe you have a marketing department, but no PR arm, no PR person internally. You can't support that. Don't need that. So I think that a PR consultant works well in those situations. Now I'm not saying it's for everyone. An agency is not for everyone. On having hiring an internal person is not for everyone. So I think it's as good to be aware of the options. But I have had more than one person, you know, mention that it's just hard to find an experienced solo PR practitioner. And so I think if you have that expertise, there are endless opportunities right now. I am turning away work. And a lot of it is from agencies because they can't seem to hire enough senior, you know, people to fill in the gaps of what they're looking for. Michelle, you should listen to early episodes of The Embargoed. Uh, we go off on agencies <laughs> at the time. Um, you know. Uh, and to uh, clarify, we, we there's a different small agency than large agencies. Yeah. yeah. Large, we, we definitely went off on large agencies, right? You know, so. Um, but, but I get it, right? So, like, I, I always say there's a consultant can fit in anywhere, right? So, Michelle, you, me, I've done it many times. I've come into client, which a lot of my clients have hired me as their acting comms officer. And it was an engagement, some of them for years, 
I was sort of like acting in-house PR person for him. Uh, but I was still doing other work on the side. And it works as long as, you know, obviously you're doing the work and you, the relationships are good and you're producing yeah. results. Yep. I have that flexibility. I have the flexibility to do that. Agencies don't have the flexibility to be like, you know, you can only work 10 hours this month and then 30, they want 100 hours every month so they can predict the team, hire the staff and move yep. it forward. Yep. I, I, think, I, think there, I think there are clients that, you know, it, and it's very often the client. It, it's, it's how they're structured by, based on what they need. You know, there are, there are clients that need a team of four or five people to manage them because there's so many moving parts. And then there's, there's some that have a lot going on where it's better to just have one person or two people. And, you know, the challenge is, is sort of helping guide the client in the right direction. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are, there are, there are startup companies that don't need PR support yet. They need to sort of get their internal house in order and figure out, is there an internal PR champion that can help sort of drive the building, you know, get, get the building blocks right. So then, you know, you know, then the solo PR freelancer or a small agency or even a large agency can come on. You do sort of, there are steps that you need to take. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 you can do a lot of that. I think for a lot of people that pick big agencies, too, Paul, you said it. Like, you, there's some clients that need a lot of handholding, and they need a, a writer, an account manager, a media relations person, and then a lot of times, and this is what people don't see, Michelle, when I tell my job, <laughs> we're counselors, we're, 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 we're sounding boards. I have, I have taken so many calls from clients driving on, on the way home complaining about an executive interaction or uh, something that happened in the office. And, and my job was to make them feel better. You still got this, <laughs> you know, you're doing great. Here's what we're going to do next kind of thing. Uh, have you guys had that experience before where you're working with clients like that? I find myself doing more of that and I actually enjoy it. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's like they're unloading on you, but um, I find that, you know, it's hard. See, here's the thing in my brain, it's hard to figure out how to charge somebody to, you know, like support them in that way, but it's, it's consulting. It's they're calling on your expertise. Sometimes again, they just need somebody to listen maybe, and maybe not really, you know, do anything. I don't fear that at all. That's my most valuable time with them. On the phone, I had a client that would leave work and call me during rush. I had to take his call at like six o'clock every day <laughs> to catch up on everything because he was stuck inside dealing with everything and he let it all out at the end of the day. And I'm like, I was just 30 minute ride home. <laughs> one of the one of the biggest challenges, and, and and this comes from my days when I was when I was a client, is you know, and, and this was in sort of a very, very, very B2B tech company. Um, I was the only PR person and no one around me spoke my language. You know, it was all, it was all KPIs and programming and stuff. And, you know, they didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what they were doing. And my, my outlet, my therapy, my counsel was my, the, the, the PR people I worked with externally. And that was how we were able to sort of move the needle because, you know, no one internally understood what we did. Yeah. Michelle, you, your, your, your Twitter game just inspires me every day. Um, what, um, what frustrates you or what, what are you most excited about right now? And, and you, those could be two answers. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, what frustrates me is the way that some NPR tend to treat 
uh, media relations. So they just spam out these, you know, poorly written, badly targeted pitches to like hundreds of reporters. I'm in a, I'm listed in a database, a media database, because I do some freelance writing and uh, I'm in Muckrack's database. So I get pitches and I mean, a lot of them, I know like reporters will tell you this, but now I see it myself. I'm like, when have I ever written about an eyelash curler or when have I ever written about bath bombs? And, you know, like, have I ever, you know, <laughs> it, you know, I talk and write about a lot of things, but those are not, you know, like if you looked at anything I ever did, you would know right away. That's not me. So they're not, what they're doing is they're not doing their research. They're not doing their homework. So that's upsetting to me and, and bothers me. And I see, you know, the lack of trust and and faith in what PR can do for people because it can be really powerful and effective. And I think companies need it more than ever because they consumers want transparency. Uh, your internal audiences, your employees want, you know, to know what's going on. They want to know first. There's a need for skilled, experienced, strong PR pros and writers uh, for, and, and, you know, in, across industries, right? However, the, when these folks do this, it just takes us all down a notch. And it's really hard because I feel like it is a lot of, and I've had reporters tell me they think it's coming and they can see that it's coming from agencies, from less experienced uh, professionals who probably need training or need, you know, somebody kind of overseeing what they're doing and having worked in the agency, they always gave the media relations jobs to the younger, more junior folks. And I just don't, I mean, I don't see it as a junior activity and nothing against those, you know, those folks that are trying to learn, right. They need a mentor. They need some training. And I think reporters are just begging, you know, for that to happen. And I see that on Twitter pretty much every week or every day. It's the perennial problem. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. I love that reporters are calling out bad pitching, you know, and, and I swear, I, I always, I'm just always grateful. It's not one of my pitches, but um, yeah. you know, you, they, they call it out now. And I think, and I, and it's well-deserved. Yeah. Yeah. And then the spammy link builders, you know, there's, there's those folks around too that try to equate what they do with PR and the guarantees. We can guarantee you a link, a story, whatever. I'm like, you know, with media, there's no guarantee. Okay. Or if somebody promises you that they can get you in a publication, that is not our media. That probably on the paid media side, not saying you can't do it, not saying there's anything wrong with it. Let's just be clear about what it is that we're doing and what we're getting. Because honestly, I work with clients who want to pay for stuff and it's just not as credible, you know? So I feel like we just need to make sure we call that out and and understand the difference. Yeah. And then you add in all the magazines that'll put you on the cover for a fee. <laughs> you might have heard our Kathy Ireland episode. Let's bring her up again, Paul. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, others, etc. I got one this week. It was total prestige. Total prestige. That's what it was. It was a magazine called total prestige and it's not going to cost you anything but we'll sell it to you after fee of three hundred dollars wow to enjoy the powerful benefits of this high quality feature there's a contribution (laughs) fee of three hundred (laughs) dollars yikes that was a new one i haven't seen that one yet so anyways michelle thank you for being on the show today Mm -hmm. you know if you have any parting words for us you can 
share them. If not, we'll get you out of here and keep you clean. <laughs> Parting words. Well, you asked what I was excited about. I'm excited that people see the value in PR. So I think companies, it's they understand the importance of being visible, being yeah. online, being out there. The pandemic drove that home. I think a lot of companies didn't value what we did as much before. And maybe now they see, you know, we need to stay out there and we we can't disappear. We can't go quiet. And you need a an experienced, strong PR pro at the table, whatever, you know, from wherever that comes, internal agency consultant, you need that person there to help you, um, you know, navigate. Yeah, I th- I, there's always going to be work for us. We just got to go find it. And it, it's out there. And people need to find us and find people like you, Michelle. Michelle, we're so grateful you joined us today. And uh, as always, Tune in every other week for the embargoed. Yeah, Thanks. great to have you, Michelle. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Yeah.